Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. You are listening to the Redraft Podcast with me, Romina Ramos, and my wonderful, super photogenic friend, Will Stevenson. Hiya, Will. Hello. First and foremost, let me just say <laughs> congratulations are in order for you, for your oh, new job you. role. You know, big up yourself. You need to celebrate and be celebrated because that's a big thing. And I'm proud of you and congr- congratulations again. Oh, thank you. Yes, literacy lead. That sounds important, doesn't it? Big. It's a fancy title. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, hopefully it, 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 it lets me do some more research, learn some more stuff. I love thinking about reading and, and, and how it affects our brains as we develop, especially as children at, at a school. So I, I think it's fascinating and I'm excited to get started come September. So lots of lovely stuff there. Thank you. Absolutely. Really and you know what? It. I'm excited for the kids at your school because... My school, like, no, 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 no shade on any of my English teachers, but we yeah. didn't have someone who was passionate the way that you are passionate about writing, about literature, and, and I just think that's a, an amazing thing for kids, especially like young kids to have. So, yeah, really, really great stuff. Yeah, it's really exciting. We, we, I definitely want to put a focus on like poetry as well as non-fiction looking at other genres of writing outside of I think what kids get told that they like I was talking about this in the interview actually but talk you know that idea of reading for pleasure and then giving them some fantasy novel that they can't connect with or whatever so I, you know there's loads of stuff there's a book for everyone at least there's Absolutely. a genre for everyone and creative and non-fiction is like is it's not new but it's having like a, a resurgence mm. I was I would say it's right now so it's moment. yeah absolutely 100%. Oh, well, amazing. Thank you. So we're a little bit late with this episode it's on Tuesday instead of Monday, but whew, I swear to God, we need life to, to calm down. To slow right? down a little like, bit, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've you've been doing like a million billion shifts at work on top of moving. I've yes. obviously had the interview for this position as well as all sorts of stuff, which we I'm sure we'll get to cover in due time. Yeah, at some the, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poetry world. Um it's just been weird man honestly i feel like i've had a year's worth of stuff happen in about a seven day span so <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm relieved that things seem to be slowing down a little bit which is good yeah absolutely we all need to take a breather and uh, and just live live each day and just embrace like the good things because it can be so easy to get caught up in all the crazy things that are going on not just in our lives but around the people mm. that we know and love and uh yes yeah we just could you please slow down a little bit, please? Thank you. Yeah, 100%. And I've been <laughs> definitely guilty of just finding myself so busy that I can't actually connect properly with people at the minute. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, time to, to take a breather, everybody. If you're getting this, maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's a sign. Let's all do a deep breath together. <laughs> right. Seriously. No, seriously. Yeah. So, so uh, you can tell it's been busy because I've not been to the cinema. I swear I start every one of these off by telling you about yes, the film that I've seen. Yes, absolutely. Not this week, but <laughs> I did manage to get down to Outbreak Festival, um, which was an absolutely amazing experience. So for those who are unaware of what Outbreak Festival is, um, it started off as a punk and hardcore music festival, um, going in Manchester for several years now. This is the first time I've been able to go. I've been wanting to go for years, but it just moved to the depot, which is just opposite uh, Manchester Piccadilly Station. It's really big capacity. I saw the National there last year, and they've started including um, hip hop and rap as well as as um, as punk music. So I got to see an amazing array of bands. Um, 
on the Saturday and Sunday. I couldn't make it on the Friday, but um, I got to see Armin Hammer, who are one of the, well, comprised of two of the best rappers out there at the moment, Billy Woods and Elucid, who put on a great show. Uh, local legend, Isaiah Hall, um, poets, nice. um, Young Identity, and all sorts of stuff going on with that guy. And he did a rap set on the second stage, which was really, really cool. Um, saw a little bit of Soul Glow, went to go get some food, all vegan food at the festival as well, which is great because normally you're like, oh, damn, I, I don't know whether I can eat this or not. you got to let double check. But there was no, uh, there was none of that, all vegan, really good. Um, Lovely. Machine Girl, Code Orange and Death Grips. And that was just a phenomenal Saturday. Like, wow, absolute power. And, it, you know, that idea of putting all these things that are very different code orange very heavy uh, punk band and then up next you know death grips um absolutely iconic mixture of of, of hip-hop and and electronic noise and like dance music all sorts of stuff they were fantastic um and then Sounds Sunday, wavy. it was it was wavy it was one of the maddest crowds i've ever seen ever so the other thing about it is because it's rooted in like punk music they don't have a barrier so it's right. the stage and, and like you. The, the audience <laughs> and you're on top of it it was crazy the amount of people stage diving going off jumping the mosh pits absolutely some of the maddest maddest shows i've experienced crazy um and then on sunday i got to see jeshi uh, lord apex little ugly main turnover who stood out like a sore thumb playing their melodic um uh, lovely dream pop but it was beautiful it was really nice and the crowd went with it as well uh, nice. then Earl Sweatshirt Wiki and Danzo Curry and I have to give a special shout out to Earl because that guy is one of my favourite lyricists of all time if do you know much about Earl Sweatshirt? I don't right so his dad was the poet laureate of South Africa amazing and his music his lyricism in his, his songs is it rivals that it is it, I, I think that is an over overused statement because I think the rap and poetry are different art forms but in the case of Earl, wow, he lives up to that that legacy really, really strongly. Fantastic artist um, that everybody should go check out. And then Wiki and Denzel Curry and Denzel absolutely blew everybody away as well. Um, fantastic bill, fantastic weekend, really, really good, fun. So yeah, sounds amazing. Sounds a little bit more exciting than me watching a couple of Glastonbury sets on my telly. Who so, did you, you catch know. though? Who, who have you watched? Um, I caught. Um, Louis Capaldi, okay, who yeah, 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 yeah. melts my heart every time when, you know, obviously he's got Tourette's and mm -hmm. he's, he's had to take some time off uh, gigs leading up to Glastow because of it all. Um, and, and he was sticking a little bit on stage, but the way the crowd just sings his lyrics back to him when he's struggling, yeah. it's just like the most heartwarming thing in the world. I yeah, caught Louis, um, I caught Lizzo, who is, you know, oh, fantastic such an inspiration i love lizzo um i caught sir elton last night of course yeah, of who course. took the legend slot at the end of the festival i also caught a little bit of arctic monkeys who were amazing uh, alex wasn't people weren't sure whether alex was going to come out and actually sing because he, he had a little bit of a sore throat but uh, no he came out and it was a it was a great set um yeah. who else did i catch i caught I caught a little bit of Central C and Dave because I'm really feeling uh, Sprinter at the minute. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard it, but it's a tune. Fantastic. The whole thing is really, really, really good. good. Like two of the two of the two of the UK's like best lyricists and, and rappers, in my opinion, at the moment.
Um, so do you know what? I didn't really know Sensha's stuff outside of that one tune that went on oh, yeah. TikTok. I don't like that tune, um, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean with the line? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. Um, but I didn't really know. I thought that was just what he was like, that kind of generic drill guy. But yeah, he really. No, this guy. Like you want to do? You want to see some of these freestyles on on um, YouTube? He goes over to America and does like this whole freestyle where he teaches them. No, it's like mm. UK slang versus American slang. It's genius. Mm. It's so good. You should check that out. Um, yeah, that's what I caught. But while we're on the on this uh, <laughs> sort of uh, discussion point. Can I just tell you my unpopular opinion for this month, you and our listeners? Ooh, please. Which is Jay Huss, right? Brilliant, <laughs> okay. brilliant rapper. Love the guy, love his older stuff. Like his new stuff that he's released so far, but Drake has no business doing the verse on that tune, and that is my opinion, and I'm sticking to that. It makes no fucking sense. Like, I don't like it. It ruins the song for me. I like everything else. I don't like it. I don't like Drake's verse. Not that I don't like Drake, but yeah, that verse is right. uh, Do you know, not for me. There's two points there. One of which is, yeah, Drake's like Jamaican accent thing that he does no. is insane. It's really weird. Like, there's just this guy from America, like mixed, not even America, Canada, mixed race. Like, what is going on with that? Bizarre. There's all of his stuff. The lyrics, the lyrics album. are just like, yeah, what yeah, are you yeah, saying? Yeah. I know the vibes, I know the vibes. It's like the drunk uncle at the corner of the party that no one's talking to. Like, what are you on so, about? I love that. I love that as a comparison. <laughs> it's so funny. But on, do you know, you've actually hit on to, before you hit record, I said that I've got, I've found some news that I wanted to tell you about. Okay, yes. Reaction live. Cool. Hit me. Speaking of Drake, he has just released a book of poetry. <gasps> no. Yeah. Fuck. I'm gonna have to get it to read it, but um right, right I'll tell you my <laughs> that's my reaction and I'll tell you why. Because I've got two celebrity poetry books. Okay. Which turning around to look at their brand new bookshelf. Uh, it, uh you know, Romina's office has really stepped its level up. I need to sort mine out now. I feel like Oh, okay, I'm so I've got one there. Podcast and legend then... here rather than just me sat in my spare room. So we found the first book. I found the first. I can't find the second right now. The second um, one is on the way. The drama is real. I'm excited. Mm, anyway, I've got... Um, <laughs> I would leave me if I could, Lana Del Rey. No, 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 sorry. Halsey. I would leave me if I could, Halsey. Okay, all right. I didn't know that was a thing. And I do have... Lana Del Rey somewhere. I can't see her right now. No, I can't see her right now. I can't, don't know what this pile Lana looks Del like. Rey. Right, I didn't know either of these existed. Celebrity actually. poetry books. Like, I'm not a fan. And I'll tell you why. I love Halsey. I am a big fan mm. of some of her tunes. Um, she's got an incredible poem that she does for international women's marches up and down America, the country of America, etc. Great poem. Great writer. Mm. I'm not a fan of the poetry. Lana Del Rey, not not massive fan of the music, not for me. Not, but I know that she's a great uh, songwriter. I, you know, sure. I can yeah, see yeah. I can see the value in that. A poetry book again, not for me. Uh, reads to me personally a little bit more like Insta poetry, early early Insta poetry. And again, you know, uh, Insta poetry still poetry still valid. I know a lot of people connect to it. For me as a reader, it's not my go-to. 
Um, mm. And maybe that's why I don't like, I, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of the celebrity poetry books that I've come across so far. Drake, again, good lyricist, but <laughs> I can't see myself being a fan of that, but I'll, I'll give no. it a try. I will give it a try. I think, you know, great one-liners, great a bit of sibilance, good at, you know, he's obviously a very, he knows what he's doing when it comes to a flow. I don't know if you take the music Do you know what the collection is called? <laughs> yeah. It's, what, oh, damn. It's, um, it's like I hate titles or something. Titles ruin everything. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Drake. Yeah. Go back to Canada. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, but you know what? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. There might be some good stuff in there, but I'd have to give a read to give my honest opinion. But on, on, we'll do we'll do a review. Yeah, we'll we will do a we'll review, hundred percent. Yeah, we'll get it between us and we'll read it for sure and review it on the pod. But yeah, uh, so <laughs> maybe far, maybe do some snippets. Like I actually <laughs> really love the cover of this. I don't know if you can see. I think it's yeah, a yeah, yeah, groovy yeah, yeah. little it's... cover. Like it's lovely little hardback. But yeah, it's um, it just. Can you I, give us a snippet. There's a lot of cliches in here for me. Right, I'll just open it at random. Random page. Wait. Oh God, that's really long, but anyway. All right, this. <laughs> the question. Right. I stand before the mirror and examine my breasts, protruding forth from my chest and demanding kindness, free ice cream and violence. Well, this is quite good. My speckled face, freckled pale brown like organic eggs, flushes pink, my eyebrows unkempt, my short hair untidy at the crown. I grip my buttocks, dissatisfied. I think the... <laughs> I think there's, it starts off quite strong. Yeah, there's some bits that in piece. there. There's an idea. Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> there's the bones of a poem. Mm. Uh, but I suppose the thing is that you're not going to edit too hard. No editor is going to edit too hard on these kind of collections. Exactly, because no one wants to upset Halsey or Lionel mm. Del Rey or, you know, me as an editor, like, I tell you, a lot of people probably wouldn't like me, but I think, like, the whole point <laughs> of editing is make something better you know that's my mm. that's my ethos when i when it comes to editing but yeah there is some good there is some like beginnings of good stuff in in these books that i've mentioned but i, I feel like as a whole yeah not for me yeah it doesn't a mean chat. they're not good though um, it doesn't mean they're not no. good like let me just say I mean, that just because i don't like something i understand that it doesn't make does not make it not good or that there's no talent in it or you know un- invalid it's like still it's still poetry still someone's work that they're probably old very valid very very ho- dear to their heart and i can appreciate that but as a reader well there's that idea of gateway as well and if someone's a halsey fan or yeah you know whoever and it gets them into it yeah it's a fascinating thing i'm really interested in people's thoughts on it if you have any opinions on artists releasing poetry or anything outside of their medium the idea of going back to outbreak of like punk and hip-hop in one thing you know people moving outside of their mediums i think is is really interesting so let us know absolutely draft podcast and with that i think we'll move on to introducing this week's guest um who was very thoughtful and elusive on all sorts of big hot button topics when it comes to poetry right now um in the uk um dom dominic berry is somebody who has been a performance poet for over 10 years um he makes his living off of poetry and is not afraid to shout about that and we absolutely love talking to him about his work so far his work um on the stage and on the page and for different audiences as well he's currently developing um a second round of children's shows um and 
I saw I was lucky enough to see Dom perform his uh, children's show at Morecambe Fringe last year to a room full of adults, which was a surreal experience, um, but really, really brilliant. So he's a great performer. Yeah, absolutely. He was so generous with his time as well uh, and with his knowledge, uh, and we're very grateful for that. Um, it's a great chat. Um, and yeah, let's go and listen together now. Beautiful. Yeah, let's Exciting. do it. Exciting. Thank you both for having me. This is lovely to be here. Lovely. Oh, it's really nice for you to join us. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so let's just go right back to the beginning and just tell us a little bit about where you grew up, how you grew up, what, what that was like for you, what school was like for you, stuff like that. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So, yeah, uh, my name is Dominic Berry. Wasn't always. I had my mum's maiden name. I was born to a single mum. And I was born in 1979 when Margaret Thatcher's government was in Ooh. power. And I'm not her biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, not her biggest fan. So she weren't keen on single mothers, as I'm sure mm -hmm. people uh, listening to this may be aware. She said that children from single parent families uh, couldn't amount to anything. And people were really mean to my my mum, really, really mean to her. And I grew up really inspired by my mum and respectful of my mum. There's no one I've met for whom I've got greater admiration than my mum. So school was horrible. Hated <laughs> <laughs> it, hated it. <laughs> so my earliest memory of poetry was mum and I had just moved and I was at a new school. We'd left London. I was in Wales uh, in the countryside where if you're a gay, effeminate, vegan child. It's <laughs> <laughs> not the best place. No, that's a, that's a tough 80s. gig now. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a tough gig now. That's how I feel oh, kicking about in Bolton, yeah, yeah. let alone in so, Wales in the 80s. <laughs> oh, but a poem I wrote in school, the teacher chose to put up on the wall. No one else's poem, just mine. I was thrilled. I was thrilled. And I remember thinking, I wish I could just do this every day. The teacher's mm. handwriting was so neat. Mm. And I was really proud of this poem. And yeah, I do remember at the age of like seven, eight years old, having this moment thinking, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't wow. that be lovely? And look at that. Look how that's really turned out for you, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't really know saying poems could be a job. I mean, like, yeah. but for a lot of us, like, secondary school was like, oh, even worse, even worse. I despised every second. Although I did love English. I loved it. I was blessed with a really inspiring literature teacher. And little brag here, little brag for my coursework for um my english literature i got 100 percent on my wow. coursework. didn't for the exam but for the coursework i did and that was largely for writing poetry which was awful poetry i read it now <laughs> so what did i see in this it's like proper like why does no one like me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> it's points for the dedication to the craft, doing it? There's not many like 15 year olds cutting about going, I'm going to write a collection. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. yeah. I love but, I've never uh, heard yeah, of 100. So, so, you know, I, I would identify as a, as a performance poet. Mm. I guess some folks would, would, would call it like slam poetry, although I don't do much competitively anymore. And a lot of people who are performance poets or slam poets talk about having a poor experience of it at school, a poor experience of poetry, disliking the ways that English literature was taught. And that's not my experience. I really loved it. I really loved it. And I felt a better connection to my English teacher than I did my drama teacher. Of course, I adored drama, but the the drama teacher was quite old fashioned and I didn't always enjoy the quite stuffy ways. I thought quite formulaic ways that drama was taught in my school, whereas English literature, I remember when I wasn't writing poetry about how no one liked me, I would do these (laughs) brawling stream of consciousness nonsense pipes that was so pretentious and I was really encouraged to do so and that was that was wonderful that was wonderful and I think as as now an adult who does go into school um, and there's often a lovely period of discussing with the teaching staff before I arrive what are the expectations Mm. and not in a lazy way but I always aim for the expectations to be really academically low, not in a talking down to children or not believing in their ability, but because so much is about hitting a target and doing it correct, doing it correct. So as it happens, I'm going into a primary school tomorrow um, and with a really lovely agent at the moment, really lovely agent who, who, who gets me into primary schools and, um, yeah, the first thing I say, I'm I'm quite I'm quite standard in, in our am I say, you know, we we're, we're gonna write today mm-hmm. and you don't have to like what you write. You know, there's times in school in which we do tests and those tests are important and we, we need to try hard for them, but I I don't want you to feel that you have to get this right mm. if you create some poetry which you are happy with that is a good thing but if every word you write today you look at and you think that is awful you have not done less well than someone who's made what they believe to be a masterpiece because we need room to explore we need room to experiment how can we know what we like unless we know what we don't like and we need that freedom to fail whatever fail may or may not mean so um I, I really enjoy those spaces and it's I, I know, you know, pretty much all the time the teachers are really grateful for that space to exist with the the children because they just exist in a different way. Mm. Do you know, that's really good advice for like adult writers as well. <laughs> it's that idea of just get it out and don't be worried about it. I think I need reminded of that a few times. well sometimes we don't practice what we preach I mean it's different when it's your job I mean I'm so 
blessed that this is my full-time income and has been now for 16 years. Wow. That is 16 insane. years. So, you know, if someone's paying me to write a poem about, I don't know, their building or whatnot, and I come back to me, I go, oh, it's not very good, is it? But I had freedom to fail. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably not going to be very happy with, like, with what mm. they're paying me. So, mm. yeah, it is... It is it is difficult sometimes to give oneself that permission to to have that time and acknowledge that it's that it's that it's uh, important time. It's it's uh, nurturing time. And it's hard to find it sometimes. I, I don't think our society is geared no. towards just being in a non-competitive, non-target, achievement-based way. No, oh, 100%. And as you know, we're st- I'm not quite at your f- full-time writer status yet. So my, my day job is is teaching, and I definitely see that all the time with not just English, but obviously that's something that it affects, but it crushes the love out of subjects. It crushes the soul a lot of the time. And that's science and history and all these amazing things as well that we can, we should put exploration on a pedestal, but we don't because it's like you said earlier, all about results 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 and it's it's a big shame and some people love deadlines and Mm. they respond well to last minute pressure and i really like being relaxed you know i could speak for great lengths of times about how damaging i believe it to be for the phrase hard working to be considered a universally good term you know if you say to someone like oh you know i'm uh i'm lying on my bed today they think you're unwell and we're not allowed <laughs> to be unwell aren't we there's one thing you're not allowed to be in Britain today you're not allowed to be ill but you're not necessarily ill but like people are like oh are you lazy are you optimizing your time yeah i am optimizing my time i'm lying on my bed it's great and it's 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 demonized we 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 force-fed this agenda of of maximizing the so-called potential of every nanosecond and you know even like relaxation and meditation courses are sometimes taught in a a very compartmentalized sort Mm. of achievement-based way i remember downloading a recommended mindfulness app and there was some really wise, I mean, there's so many of them. There's so much wise stuff on there. But a lot of it was really target-based. And I thought, you know, like you got rewarded for how often you logged in. And, you know, you uh, had to, like, tick off all these things. It was like this sort mm. of checklist. It was like, I kind of quite like having fewer checklists, actually. Do you know what's really interesting? Because they, they call that gamified, don't they? So they say that everything's gamified now. It's about, like you say, hitting this, getting that, unlocking the next level, doing all that. But you, you're someone who's obsessed with video games as well. So you've sort of got your gaming fix from like the Game Boy Advances of this world. I don't need that on my relaxation apps as well. It's interesting. Oh, I do love my video games. And I often wonder if I spent too long. Uh, so I'm <laughs> writing a uh, children's poetry book at the moment, and mm-hmm. I'm editing and re-editing the introduction I'm writing because I'm such a boomer. I'm such a <laughs> boomer. I've written this really 
condescending because you can be condescending yeah. to children of course there's like really poorly phrased introduction which i really believe that's basically saying hey you kids put down your screens and go for a walk that's like the gist of, of like what i'm writing and i re- and I, I believe it so much i believe it so much but it's me taking my own advice and and you know i'm trying to say you know i am someone who loves video games i am someone who benefits from social media and enjoys social media but i'm also someone who does martial arts who likes drawing pictures with a paper and a pen and chatting with friends and going for a walk in the park and kicking a ball around and i i i really really value those things and the book is is about those non-technology driven things because because, you know, I don't know if you get this in your, your school in which you teach, but it's a, a real problem. Parents and, and sort of carers, family members, mm. letting children have their phones or iPads all night, all Mate. night because yeah. of tantrums, if they're told, get off it, the, which I would have been. The worst case And then they're this. wrecked for school. They're shattered because yeah. they've been awake all night. The worst case of this a few years ago um, was when I was doing my teacher training. It was my first ever parents' evening. I was speaking to a parent, um, and as an English teacher, obviously, I said, "Do you read at home? Is there books in the house? Do they read a lot?" And she, she looked me dead in the eyes and went, "Yeah, she loves reading Twitter on a phone." <laughs> <laughs> not what I meant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not even funny. It's it's sad, really, yeah. but. So yeah, I it think really book- is. It really is. So I believe if you are a person who speaks upon a stage, mm. and whether it's a full time job or an occasional thing, there's so many people around the world who never get heard. And if people are listening to you, the least you can do is say something worth saying. Which mm. is why I know that children enjoy the poetry i say and i'm good at being funny and making them laugh and and it's getting that balance because i don't want to be like you know lecturing them and it to turn into anything too too um and i'm also very clear with children about like what's opinions and what is facts i say unpopular facts loads of children like love for example boris johnson you know they adore (laughs) boris johnson they think he's funny and i'll say well you know boris johnson was responsible policies which which have made your life worse than they would have been Mm. without him and you know the the reaction of teachers faces when i'm telling like a 10 year old this and i'm saying you know i've got opinions about boris johnson but i'm not going to say my opinions i'm just going to tell you some some things that that, that that happened under his watch, you know, that 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 he could have made different and he didn't make different, you know. And, uh, so so yeah, it's it's a tricky one balancing because you know art is about our opinions and our opinions are important and urgent and all of that. But it's it's also a good sign to say, you know what, like it's quite hard to argue with this event happened, this mm. event happened, you know. So yeah. Yeah, knowing how to frame those events as well. Like, I know we're getting slightly off topic, but 
I think that's what's that's what's so dangerous, isn't it? Because like facts are facts. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, we definitely have facts that we we like to showcase as as we as leftists, broadly speaking. And then you know, other people have other facts that they like to sort of show off at different times. So, and that's one of the things that schools will struggle with is everything is meant to be politically you know neutral you're not meant to have an opinion as a teacher and i find that really constricting you know outside of work my sort of approach at the minute is just go with it and see if anyone finds out (laughs) but (laughs) you know it, it it's a difficult thing because i don't really get how you can be an artist and not talk talk about politics like even like you were saying to children like it's Children massively care about politics. Mm. They really care about injustice. They get really angry about things that are unfair. They care about compassion. They care about kindness. And, yeah, it's it's awful to be, to be, to be gagged, to be gagged, mm. you know. And, like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, I have beliefs, which are my beliefs, which I'm really careful about. You know, I make a choice to not uh, share beliefs that I I know. Like, you know, there's a responsibility of children being, uh, uh, you know, easily influenced. And, you know, like, uh, you know, I've got views on on diet and food. You know, not Mm. particularly radical things. I'm not talking about, you know, extreme beliefs. I'm just talking about, like, yeah, you know, certain foods that I choose, I, I wouldn't eat. You know, like I'm I'm teetotal. You know, I don't drink alcohol. Actually, I do sometimes tell children that I'm a teetotal. <laughs> I do sometimes say that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's important to acknowledge that 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 children are easily influenced if you're funny and you're telling jokes and to have a responsibility for that so there's a mid ground isn't there there's a mid ground between absolutely not abusing the position of being heard by saying stuff like you know don't go to mcdonald's kids (laughs) (laughs) don't say that don't say that you know because there's all kinds of reasons why Children love McDonald's, and and if I'm with them for like an hour, that's too big a topic to take away something really special to them, you know. But (laughs) equally, like you say, art has to be about something. It has to be about something. And I believe there's a national problem with performance poetry that isn't about stuff. Uh, it's, It's not all performance poetry. But, you know, I think um, adverts mm. have had a bad effect on poetry because because they have to be nice. And I, I like nice poetry. I like funny poetry. I like entertaining poetry. But it's not all poetry. And like if you watch an hour long set of somebody at something like, you know, fringe events, you know, they've mm. got an hour on stage and they don't share a single opinion. Like it's just all like niceties the the mm. rhyme or have got a good rhythm you know or they say it charismatically i think that that's that's bad for the art is yeah, well, it art is it art to just to just say nice stuff that rhymes it's like you were saying earlier isn't it if you've got a stage if you've got a microphone use it for something you've come up there you clearly want to 
talk in front of a crowd. Let's hear what you've got to say. I don't, when I've seen stuff like that, I don't feel like I've got to know the person any deeper, which is to me, one of the like founding aspects of what poetry is about. It's communicating yourself. So I'm going to tell quite a long anecdote here (laughs) about school and poetry and having resilience to people being allowed to have a different opinion to you. Right. Uh, A poet I adore the work of is Jerry Potter. Mm -hmm. And in my teenage years, Jerry Potter had a lot of anti monogamy in sexual relationships. Poetry, very strongly worded. Now, you know, I am a gay man who enjoys monogamy. It's not a big uh, uh, sacrifice for me. It's, it's like what I and, you know, there are all kinds of joyful, different ways that different people can live. And, you know, a number of amazing sort of valid ways. So Jerry's not right. I'm not right. It's just two different ways. But um, I remember at school uh, having a sociology class. And our teacher, this is really weird, in the clause 28 days when homosexuality was banned from being talked about, this was, there was a sociological study of gay men. And the sociological study took place in a public toilet. And we were learning about this in, 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 in like sixth form. And I said to my teacher, I was like, but that's not a study of gay men, is it? And the teacher was like, yeah, it is. I was like, no, it's a study of gay men who have sex in public toilets. Yeah. And the teachers looked at me blankly and I was like, my point is not all gay men have sex in public toilets. Some do, some don't. And again, this blank look, blank look. So um, I was infuriated by that. So when I quite soon afterwards moved to Manchester and Jerry Potter was one of the first poets I said, glorifying glory holes and sex in public (laughs) toilets it really went against my path i want to seek and that's okay that's Mm. okay do you know what i mean like that's okay and like you know jerry puts forward really strong arguments why monogamy is a bourgeois construct and arguments that we are not uh biologically yeah it's all to do with like uh passing down you know what the man owns to the male child and it's to do with restriction and repression and i don't i don't have strong arguments against any of that i just i just choose a life of monogamy and that that's that's for me you know yeah, i'm just I'm like 43. a <laughs> I've, I've had enough stds in my time i'm all right for them now i don't want any more i'm all right i've had some i've had some top of the list yeah man no it is it's interesting and i think you develop that ability to like synthesize and think about another person's argument when that i think it's a sign of someone who's fully matured and is like willing to listen to other people if you are looking at other arguments and going no i don't agree with that so it's wrong then i think you've got a lot of thinking to do still and you probably shouldn't be on the stage in the first place yeah, for sure. And of course, of course, of course, I'm not talking about things that are like, you know, hateful and bigoted. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the Welsh countryside with a whole ton of that going on. And, <laughs> and, and you know, it's important to to, you know, to to be able to. To challenge that in work and talk about yeah. ah, that's kind of slightly well, a very different topic, a very different topic. But but 
yeah, I think that some poets have seen poetry on television adverts make the poets who said poetry on television adverts loads of money. And again, it harks back to this idea that money equals good, you know, competitive equals good. And like, you know, I'll name a name here. One of my favourite poets is... uh, is a uh, Toby Campion, a poet from the the Midlands, who's a storming artist, stunningly good. And I went to a uh, cinema to watch a Hollywood movie, and Toby Campion's face pops up on the big screen, and I was like, "Oh my word! All these people are going to hear one of my favourite poets." And you know what? The poem wasn't very good. It wasn't about, well, it was about something. It was go to this building society. That's what it was about. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, oh, that's that's a shame. I don't think bad of Toby for taking it. Some people do. And, and you know, again, there's arguments. What do and do we not do mm. for money? I Again, I hear the people, you know, I hugely admire the artist um, Thick Richard. Uh, mm. Thick Richard has got very strong public views on, you know, these adverts are, are a bad thing. And, and, and you know, I kind of think, well, I, I, I see why Toby did. I think it's a shame that, that the poem that all those people saw was objectively less content driven than the really personal creative work about bullying and empowerment and and school and gender really excellent stuff that the building society don't want on their adverts so if we see the poetry that makes the best money is the poetry to aspire towards we will end up with a scene where everybody's poems are really empty yeah, uh, but it, that's the thing, though, isn't it? Is that Toby's put the time in there, and they've got the back catalogue to back it up of real work. And actually, poetry doesn't pay you much money in general. Books, tours, fringe festivals, whatever. I'm gonna but, I'm gonna challenge you there, Will. Because okay, what on. you've just said is a popular said opinion, and like, yeah. you know, it can. It can. So, you know, I was really resigned in my my 20s. I I met Jerry. Mm. I wanted to be a professional poet. And I I wasn't for many years. I was working in pubs. I was working in, you know, cleaning jobs, shops, offices, being sacked, running out in floods of tears. And I'm not saying this in a kind of boastful way, but, but, you know, like, yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> no, but that, but that's aspirational. I think that's something that people need to share. There was a tweet I, I saw earlier saying people I need to talk about money more. And like, you know, there's poets who earn a lot more than me. And I say that yeah, carefully sure. because poems making money is not a mark of value of poetry. No. I know stunning artists who have really great careers in things other than poetry because they feel the compromise that they would argue is inherent, accepting any money for poetry, weakens their art. So they're not less good poets. You know, I can objectively say I'm good at getting money for poetry. <laughs> that doesn't mean that my poetry is any good, does it? It doesn't mean that. Uh, there, there's a, a proof that I can get money for poetry, and there's a whole load of people who do it. So 
that there, there's conversations about does the best poetry get money mm. um but poetry can and does make money it, it is it is possible so i just challenge that will no good, I think for good. people starting out yeah. listening they're kind yeah. of like oh well you know because i'm rubbish at everything else will all <laughs> i've got you need the rides, all i've got <laughs> and that really drove me in the wilderness years when like i was you know unemployed and you know they say we're only like a few choices away from being a person who is homeless and you know i yeah. really look back and think you know thank goodness i didn't fall through the cracks so to speak you know i i i'm a a, a gay man who feels that my friends are my chosen family and you know they took care of me when i was very mentally ill when i went to seek uh mental health support and I was put on waiting lists and I didn't get anything and I was treated really badly in jobs and uh, I didn't get any benefits and I became agoraphobic. This is before the poetry career kind of happened. I was just, I wasn't working. I had friends who were like doing huge amounts to help me out, huge amounts, huge amounts. And I owe them loads, loads. You know, I, I'll never lose my gratitude. And you know, if my life had gone a certain way, I, I could absolutely imagine like me, me not having a job in poetry. I could, um, you know, we, we can all I, I could have lost my my home. I could have you know, it could have been awful. It could have been awful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we 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 um, yeah, we, we we are, aren't we? We're all just a couple of things, oh, yeah. a couple. Of, I'm not even going to say choices. I'm not even say choices because that implies that you know but, yeah. it's all down to us and you know bad things happen to good people we're all a couple of actions away from becoming homeless and uh you know what really drove me to be good at poetry was i was blessed with being awful at everything else so it's like, <laughs> it was like there was no plan b there's no plan b i'd won a couple of competitions like small ones so i was like well maybe i can give it a go and i was just like relentless relentless and and here I am on your podcast now. Hooray! <laughs> the number one mark of success. Right, Ramina, there's a lot to unpack. I'll ask you if you've got any thoughts. Yeah, on... no, I do, I, I do. It, I man. wanted to I wanted to rewind actually to what we just talked please, about because please. um <laughs> it's it is really inspirational to hear people say that you know it can be done and it is being done by lots of people. Because even at uni, like I, you know, we it was instilled into us that you not you won't make money from poetry like you have to find other ways but they, they showed us other ways like reviewing and writing articles and copywriting and all these other like kind of things that you have to do alongside your art but never like eat from your own art which we always talk about here on the pods with everyone but then you've got people like yourself like our friend Ilaria who actually do like do this full time you know yes oh Ilaria is yeah we had a, what an amazing yeah. artist and human being yes yeah absolutely um so it is it is really refreshing to hear that and I think it's like you say it's you've been at this for like 16 years so like you've obviously worked grinded and climbed all the way to the top where you're like comfortable now when you do this full time and stuff we we were just starting I feel like I'm at the very very beginning of my career I've only been doing open mics for like a year and a half you know like I've I've done nothing literally so I think like there's a lot more to come but you just have to keep grinding that you have to keep putting in the work 
I was given great advice by the uh, once director of contact. Uh, uh, John McGrath was uh, in charge of a uh, opportunity within the arts that I applied for and did not get in the early 2000s. And unsuccessful applicants were invited to receive feedback upon their work. And I leapt at the chance. So I was mm. sitting with John McGrath and John McGrath said to me, here is my opinion. Going back to facts and opinions. Here are my opinions, Dominic. This is what I think you do really well within your art. And this is what I think you would do well to develop. And here's areas where I think in my opinion, you should steer clear. You're trying to hit these things that I don't think fit within your poet's voice. I think mm. that you're really going in a direction that isn't helpful for you. And, and I don't think this art is good. Now, Dominic, you can disregard my opinion. It is just my opinion, but it is the opinion of someone who's got money to pay artists. So you've got a choice. Do you want my money? And if the answer's no, then that's a really great answer, a really great answer, because some opportunities aren't right for some people and there's plenty of others out there. And if you spend all your time chasing the ones that aren't right for you, well, that that's not the best use of time. But if it is right for you, well, then it's 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 a collaborative thing. And, and you know, I, I, I went on and I applied for other stuff at Contact. I became like an artist in residence at Contact. It was... Um, it was uh, my first big commission, like seven months I was there as, uh, nice. as a poet. And I did choose to listen to, to John. And I did choose to develop poetry within the framework of what was received at Contact. All the time, people send poems off to magazines, mm. uh, try and get arts residencies with no awareness of what the the flavor for that building is no awareness and a kind of arrogance of like my art is great and a lack of resilience to have that conversation that is not even saying your art's rubbish it's saying maybe what you're making isn't right for here and a key moment for me a key moment that shaped me was the stunning poet from Wigan, Louise Fazakali, who I love and admire so much, about yes. 15 years ago, I was really struggling for money. I just started off trying to be full time as a poet. And Louise got in contact and said, I've been asked to recite some of my poems at a LGBT group in Rochdale. And I'm a cisgender heterosexual woman. And I don't think I'm the, the best person to have been booked for this. I went, do you want to do it? And I was like, well, what, what about like you being paid? And she was like, well, no, I'm, I'm saying, do you want it? Like there's, there's, there's loads of, loads of work out there. Donald. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm the right person. So I was just shocked. I was like, you know, a lot of other careers are not like that and mm. not like that. And it got me thinking about, in the recent past, back then, when I'd taken jobs that maybe I hadn't been the best poet for. And it takes a lot of confidence to turn down work, as Louise did, to give the job to me. And I did it, and it was fun and meaningful. 
and really shaped me, really shaped me. So I do, I do often say to bookers, you know, they approach me and they're like, oh, here's this project that we've got, you know, it's to do with this, it's to do with that. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if I'm the best artist to be in this position. Have you heard of this poet? Have you heard of this artist? And I think that's wonderful. I think that that does happen a lot in the arts and that's brilliant. That's really good. Really good. Well, I say in the arts, in poetry, in poetry, it doesn't happen in acting, does it? You know, but yeah. <laughs> Dave Batista going, no, I think John Cena is the right former wrestler for this role. <laughs> How do you think you're, so for me, I can see myself right now, I've been writing for a long time. I've been performing for a while, but I, I can feel myself getting better at something Hooray! and changing exactly what it is that I do I think I used to be much more of a performance poet and I think actually that's changing into something that's a lot more metered and a lot more structured and a lot more pagey at the moment I didn't expect that to happen I can just I see that is what's happening do you think that you can sort of look back at the last 15-16 years and go okay this is where I've changed or do you think your craft has sort of just developed on a, on a hopefully upwards tra trajectory. It's interesting you spoke about how I grafted really hard, which is true. And earlier on, I said about how I think it's really negative for hardworking to be seen as a universally positive thing. Oh, you know, she's a hardworking lass. And, you know, that's always praise. That's always praise. And that's wrong. You are correct. I did work very, very hard. And I've got a lot of privilege now that I've worked hard to make a name in this in this very, very specific working arena in which I'm known. People are like, oh, Dominic is reliable. Dominic mm -hmm. will turn up. Dominic will will deliver. Dominic will will be quite good if there's a disagreement or something goes wrong. He's not going to be like a diva about it. You know, um, these things really matter as much as being able to string words yeah. together. Um, and yeah, I've tried things over the years that haven't really worked out for me. And then I've tried new things that, that have. So I, was very dismissive of the idea of writing work for children and for many years I only toured my work for adults and also I was quite against having funny bits as well so my wow. first grant I know right I know my first grant from the Arts Council was for a show I had written about the then state of the mental health system having had negative experiences myself and I got this grant to tour it around theatres nationally and it was a huge 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 step for me the tour began with five shows at contact and I was euphoric I thought this is my dream come true I've got theatres booking I've got a tour and I then realised that saying sad poems night after night after night <laughs> isn't a joyful thing to do. <laughs> and for years, people have been like, why don't you write for kids? So I was like, how dare you? I'm a political activist. I've got <laughs> no interest in children's work. So it was a real 
turnaround, as I said before, children really care about inequality. They're very political, very angry at injustice. And it, that, that was a big step when I kind of started writing for different ages. And again, an awareness of target audience and awareness. Mm. Something I'm doing a lot at the moment and my new show I'm doing is thinking about sensory driven poetry which i have found to be good at engaging with children who have additional support needs children who are in uh uh special schools uh it, it's it, you know different different humor works with different people with different ways of of being and um I, I I've really enjoyed that. I've really enjoyed uh, uh, saying jokes to children who are considered harder to to, to reach and, and create an engagement with, and that yeah. feels massively rewarding and fun. And yeah, so yeah, that that that's a recent a recent thing a recent thing. Uh, this week i'm off to do i uh, quite regularly go and uh, perform poetry for a group of children who are deaf over in nottingham and i have um i have a a wonderful team of signers who who, who work with me and the the, the translation is is That's glorious beautiful. amazing yeah so my new show that i'm doing is um called uh, make some noise and again, it's been written with certain children in, involved. So it's very sensory. And I talk a lot about sounds. And I suddenly thought, I really want this show to be engaging mm. for, for children who are deaf. Because I've got children who are deaf who really like my work. And I don't want them to be like, oh, Dom's new show isn't really for me. Dom's new book isn't for me. So I, I'm I'm really lucky. I'm specifically working with them, the kind of roles are flipped like they're going to be my teachers because you know i'm not a person who's deaf so i want to share like my poetry that i have written with these children and sort of say to them you know i i'm, I'm going to talk a lot about sort of different vibrations different sort of ways you know what what noise is when you don't hear it about the different emotions that you know could be explored and um yeah, it might be rubbish. Sounds <laughs> fascinating. Like, that's, that's not right at all, which is which will be very helpful <laughs> for me to hear. It's, it's a work in progress, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it very much is, yeah. Until the deadline, then it won't be. <laughs> then it won't be, yeah, yeah. But I'm really excited about that, really, really excited about seeing them on Friday, really thrilled. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. It was really, that sounds really really amazing to be to get to do that as as your job like it's it's incredible yeah it's inspirational and aspirational for sure um while you're on that subject can you talk a bit about um your role directing um oliver sykes kids show because yeah. you, you've done well, you've directed one already right and then you're you're doing a second one oh you know your stuff you know I your researched. stuff <laughs> that is true that is true so Oliver is a person who was brought up by a single father mm. and got into boxing as a child. And I am someone who, as an adult, loves martial arts. 
and there's still a lot of misunderstanding about what martial arts and what boxing can be. People are oh, it's just horrible violence and children should be sheltered from violence. And there's a code of conduct and a, and a, 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 a sportspersonship that's wonderful, wonderful. And um, Oliver is not a flamboyant person in the way that I am a flamboyant person. Oliver is quite stocky and muscly and has a lot of uh, what some would see as really masculine qualities. And I think for children to see Oliver going into primary schools wearing his boxing gloves is a great thing for them to see. And he's funny He's, he takes direction very, very well. He takes direction better than I take direction. I'm right <laughs> argumentative, me. But Oliver's like, yeah, let's try this idea. Let's try that idea. It's like, oh, wow, wow. So, um, yeah, we, we, he's been touring uh, the boxing show, which is called Alfie's First Fight. And we're currently working on Fishing for Rainbows, which is a show about... It's about girls is about is very much inspired by his relationship with his sister and now his sister was um not included in certain activities because of gender because of the father's kindly meant intent of protecting her and the not great feelings that she had about mm. that, that her brothers weren't aware of until she communicated. And so, yeah, it's a good show about communicating and listening. And it's, yeah, really, really fun. And uh, and how, how do you find directing it rather than being something that you wrote? Like, how is that? How is that? Loads easier. I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It's really great. I mean, I sometimes think, because I, especially in my poetry for children, my poetry for adults as well, but my poetry for children, I leap around a lot. I'm very loud. I'm very bouncy. And sometimes I think, do I need to do this? Am I setting uh, expectations that maybe I won't always be able to do as I get older. And I thought, well, as Will was saying earlier about going from performancey poetry to maybe more meat and stuff on the stage, I was talking about only writing for adults, going to do stuff for children. Maybe one day I will evolve and I'll be less bouncy, but I'm bouncy now. Yeah. I'm bouncy now and I enjoy it now. That's why I do it. I don't do it because I feel I have to leap around. Like, I do it because I get so excited and um, yeah, yeah. I know it's a really fashionable thing to say. I know. So I say this with great care and great respect because I know that this is something a lot of people say, but um, I think a lot with my, performance about you know whether I'm someone with neurodiversity stuff going on because um you know people people ask me in schools that like you know teachers like go like you're so good with our autistic children are you autistic mm-hmm. and, like, has asked me bluntly and um, 
I had this really, really um, meaningful moment with a child who had been told I was an author and brought in loads of his drawings to show me. And I sat with him at morning break while all the other children were out kicking balls. He's exactly like I'd have been. He just had all these drawings. And he'd drawn this one character who he'd made up over and over and over again wearing ice armor, desert armor, metal armor, dragon armor. And I sat there and this lad was like, you know, he's so young, he's like about seven, eight years old. And he looked at me and he was like, you're looking at this. I was like, yeah. And he went, most grown-ups don't look, they they look quickly, but you're you you're interested, aren't you? I was like, I am interested. And he was oh. like, you're like me, aren't you? <laughs> And Amazing. I don't really know what he meant by that, but he did have a diagnosis of autism and he, he knew that. And he, you know, so I said, yes, I am like you. Yeah. And he said, not everyone's like us, are they? I was like, no, not everyone's like us. And it was, it was like, tears in my eyes, tears Jesus. in my eyes. Uh, I'm nearly crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, it's interesting because, there's this idea with autistic children that loud noises are mm. unquestionably triggering, and they're not always. Like I think that I found a way by luck more than judgment. Luck more than judgment. I'm very loud, and the autistic audiences who come love what I do. I think I'm loud in a in a, in a very clear way i think my communication and my excitement is yeah that's clear. what i was just about to say actually i think you're you signpost really clearly whether it's the physical direction or the words what is gonna come next and the audience is allowed to go right i'm safe on this journey i know where we're going and so it's not the same thing as like a fire alarm or a sudden shout that you weren't expecting you know that you're in the context of this fiction this poetry this show and okay cool i trust this guy and we're gonna see where we end up with it so yeah that's my read on it anyway yeah but it has been more luck by judgment i mean mm. more recently i have done some specific training on engaging with children who are autistic and like i say some of it has actually gone against my personal experience <laughs> and therefore i have combined the two things and thought well you know what i'm doing something that is resonating and well getting... i always so as a teacher as well i i think this kind of training that's delivered and the advice will change every five years and True. it how can it apply to everybody it can't yeah. it's really condescending actually i think often it's not meant to be it's meant often with the best of intentions but to say this is how we engage adhd pupils or autistic pupils or any group that you call out how can you do that they're all individual people in the same way that anybody else is it's crazy it's like going this well, is how we engage like gay pupils what do you mean no like, yeah. What? yeah it's putting everyone under one umbrella and it's just mm. unrealistic and unfair a lot of the time on that topic here's my advice to anyone who would like to say their words on stage mm. learn your words or at least 
familiarize yourself as much as you can because then you can make eye contact with your audience you're more confident in your words and you can see if someone is really triggered by your words and you can adapt i perform a show called spark the goblin wizard that i have been performing for over a decade now and it is so malleable and because I know every word of this hour-long show for five-year-old children I know it will entertain them and it will uh, provoke them get ideas going and I can make it quieter if like the energy is not right if I'm thinking oh these children don't like me being so loud I can I can, all my children's shows start in the same way. They start with me, just not on the stage, in the audience, saying hello to people as they come in, going, oh, what's your favourite colour? You know, what of all the dinosaurs, which is the best dinosaur, and just chatting to them and, like, getting an idea for, like, what kind of energy they brought to the room, how they respond to my questions, if I need to, like, pull back a bit, if they laugh if it's big. And it's a bit like conducting a choir like being with an audience, like the audience are all your different instruments and you want everything to be harmonious. It could be that to the side of the stage, they like it being really loud. But if you get too loud, it'll become, you know, lacking in harmony and it's to the, you know, detriment of ones on the other side. So if you've learned your words, you can adapt far more successfully and make a better engagement. Absolutely. And and also the, the fact like, to read the room, like what you say when you're there on the night, like I've known for me, I've I've turned up to like new nights that I've not been before with a specific set list in mind and then got there and like kind of judged the room and thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that one. I should do this one instead, you know. So it's, it's a little bit different, but it's it, it relates. Yeah. yeah. And it's not about censorship or... Um, oh, you can't say that to these people. It is about making a meaningful connection. So in my really early days, I'm going back to like the early 2000s. Like I had experienced so much homophobia throughout my life. And I had different poems about homophobia aimed at different audiences. Mm. They were all saying, oh, homophobia is bad. But yeah. they were aimed at different audiences because, you know, if you go into a crowd of like, you know, more upper class, older people, maybe they're not going to love the F-bomb every other <laughs> word. And maybe if you do that, their entire reaction will be based on you swearing and they won't even listen. You know, Stephen King says about horror stories, if you uh, if you lose people, if it's so scary, they just stop listening, then you failed. You failed <laughs> to someone aiming to make a connection and I don't want to fail to make a connection just because it's really important to me to swear because I think I'm being censored if I'm not allowed to swear (laughs) no no my purpose is to make a connection and if I'm just there saying stuff for my own benefit well then I can do that at home on my own I don't have to inflict that onto a room full of people Yeah, there's a few people who might take note of that. <laughs> no, it's 100%. You know what, Joe? While we've been talking, I don't know if it's the same you, but while we've been talking, we're having one of these horrible summer showers. It's like yeah. storming outside. Sorry. So I apologise because 
the rain is so hard now i'm 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 less less skillful at hearing your beautiful voices so i just make that make that note you know I, I as a as a poet people are always like what's your favorite season what's your favorite season and you know what you know what i hate them all i hate them all they've all got something horrible about them even summer even summer sucks doesn't it have... too hot uh, you get that sounds nonsense so. thunder it's I, June. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I did notice that while you've been speaking, I have fully transitioned from being like in a lovely bright room to just being sort of like Nosferatu's assistant <laughs> over here in the dark room. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got one more question that I want to go into. Ro, have you got awesome. anything else? Um, no, you want just you, to wrap you up go one. into that and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask the big one. I wanted to talk to you, Dom, about flapjack books um and about getting stuff out on the page and keeping it in a certain order and how working with flapjack was or has been and continues to be for you well what a lovely question thank you for asking uh flapjack press is predominantly uh the marvelous paul needs paul is the person who's drawn all the pictures for my children's books as well as choosing the fonts and the layout and discussing things like line breaks and how much uh, blank space there is upon the page and Paul's a great editor because it's a dialogue in the same way that working with a director like Oliver being directed by me you want it to be a dialogue you don't just want this kind of like I'm the teacher do this my Mm. you know word is law but you know it's coming from an informed place so I do I do well to listen and um yeah yeah paul's really great at explaining explaining why certain choices have been made so flapjack press is a small independent publisher whose purpose has always been publishing performance poetry so that's its raison d'etre so it's a very specific kind of publication so yeah, I I I trust Paul on that. I trust Paul. I uh, Paul is is very well read, so I don't always um, know why Paul's like, oh, why don't we do this way of formatting, or we'll use a different font here, or you know, um, one of one of my um, one of my more horrible poems, <laughs> one of my uh, uh, better received poems. I have a poem called Men Locked Behind Toilet Doors. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, Paul, you know, we took out all the line breaks there. It's kind of as a sort of like prose poem type. So sort of. there's no, that's an that's editorial decision that was made. And I, I adore how that looks on the page with the block of text i i really 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 love that really love that so yeah joyful is the answer and a bit like i was talking about john mcgrath being like i'm a director of a theater and if you want to work with me is the way it is maybe you don't want to work with me and that's okay i'd say that for an editor i'd say that people are so desperate to get their work out mm. there sometimes that they end up really persevering with a relationship that just isn't right that editor and that poet just aren't the right people to go together it's not the ones correct and ones incorrect yeah. it's just not a good 
combination of talents. So yeah. I've I've been really glad, and 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 I've spoken to many other publishers over the years, and with all love and respect, chosen to to not be with them. It's it's been it's been with Paul. But um, although that said, I won't say too much. But my new publication has got a different editor. A different editor, a Ooh. new editor with whom I haven't worked before. So that, that's not, you know, I'm not, uh, all my talk of monogamy and all my years <laughs> of being monogamous and flapjack. I'm now, I'm now a polyamorous, <laughs> polyamorous poet, poet. publishing. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. That goes really nicely. Uh, the, the whole Paul's editorial uh, brilliance. Prowess. <laughs> yeah. Um, goes in nicely into the last question, which is the big one here of the redraft, which is if we gave you the chance to go back and redraft a part of your writing career or, or your life, uh, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Big one. Mm. <laughs> nothing <laughs> because what i said at the very beginning about children being allowed to make mistakes because it's been it's been great it's been great so i worked with an editor uh uh flapjack paul needs on men locked behind toilet doors but i also worked with a theater director kevin dyer and i remember him saying um Let's keep working on this poem. Let's keep working on it. We can re-edit it. We can re-edit it. And I was like, no, I've already performed it. It's really making a connection. And we had a big, long conversation. I think the connection could be even greater if we change this and that and the other. About half the poem changed. And I'm really glad I listened to that. But, yeah, even the poems that have been published that I look back and think, oh, Bit, bit of a cringe there that that poem exists and that can be found to people. But it was part of my journey, wasn't it? It's part of my journey. It sounds very glib to be like, well, every decision brought me here. But every decision did bring me here. Every decision did bring me here. Um, I had a short story published by the Gay Times and I think it's awful. <laughs> I think it's so bad. And my only hope has been that anyone who reads it thinks, well, this is terrible. I could do better than this and it might inspire them. (laughs) But just this week, after about 20 years, someone emailed me and just said, I've just found your short story. It's so good. I loved it so much. I thought, are you taking the mickey? Is it the wind (laughs) up? I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I was like, that is so good. Thank you. Thank you. So everything has its purpose and sometimes that purpose is purposelessness <laughs> <laughs> i love that wow. oh you're not the first person to say that to be fair we had joy on last week well this is uh, yeah no but it, it was joy france who was the last person to say that now yourself it's you know it's a good little pedigree of people saying no regrets <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely good stuff right dom thank you so much for your time mate i have found this to be one of the most uh mind bending insightful joyous chats that i've captivating chats that i've had in a long time so thank you oh brilliant 
Thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah, it's been You are very pleasure. welcome. Thank you both for having me. It's been lovely. Where can people come and find you next, Dom? Um, well, hopefully I'll update my website, uh, net. <laughs> there should be a big tour of Make Some Noise, the new show for children and mm. families around October and especially like February after. I know it seems forever away, but it isn't. It isn't. Mm. Like, it'll be with us. Yeah. before we know it so um and i think of all my family shows this one's particularly poignant for for grown-ups i really think it's like a family show in the true sense of the word i've been really i'm so proud of the poems i've been thinking i reckon when i get books for for sets of poetry just for adult audiences i think i'll be saying these poems to everyone i'm really proud of them so uh not least of all the one i'm working with with the children who are, who are deaf this friday so uh yeah make some noise in uh october onwards yeah come and see that and i'll try i'll try and remember to update my website <laughs> <laughs> amazing right dom thank you again have a lovely evening my friend thank Brilliant. you very much thank nice you both one. thank you for having me that was dominic berry what a fantastic guest to have on i felt really inspired after we came off zoom for that chat yes same i mean uh you know what my favorite part is when we're both like you know it's hard to make money as a poet and he's like no it's not i do it and it's easy to do it and you can do it well i don't think it's that easy but he said it's doable and he's doing it and you know what it is inspiring and it is heartwarming to see we always we we say this a lot on the pod don't we that you know it's really hard but i think it's because we're i speak for myself but i think for you two uh, uh, to a certain extent is that we're really at the beginning of our careers we talk to people like mm-hmm. Ben Wilkinson like Val like um, you know uh, even Abby and, and, and Dom and they're mm-hmm. all making money from their art and it's it's mm-hmm. inspiring and definitely heartwarming and it, it pushes us to keep going forward so it's we're very thankful for Dom and for that yeah 100% and um, we hope that if you're out there listening and, and you feel you know the same uh, sort of level of inspiration afterwards it links back to this thing that's been the hot button issue on Twitter these past few weeks of get up early and do your writing or stay out partying and don't do your writing. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's got to be both, hasn't it? you got to have life experiences, obviously, but life experiences don't just happen at 2 a.m. Like, life experiences happen all the time. So if you are serious about it, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that that initial thread is absolutely spot on. Yeah. If you're serious about something, you, pr- you train that muscle and you practice it. Yeah, 100%. Otherwise, when are you going to get better that's it that's it just got to keep pushing forward moving forward getting your head down and doing the work nothing comes easy and you know practice makes perfect nobody's perfect nobody wants to be perfect (laughs) i don't but um but yeah no just keep pushing forward if you're listening and you're at the beginning of your career and you're a little bit fed up with it all just keep going there is light at the end of the tunnel yeah definitely and that's one of the the best things about chatting to all these people week in week out so as always we will be back with you next monday so we do apologize for the slight delay in transmission yes this week but we'll be back and uh we've got some upcoming events which we'll plug you into yes so tonight tuesday the 27th if you listen in the morning it's still tonight if you listen in the evening well we're probably there right now but we are holding (laughs) natter Number 14. Wow, that's amazing. I've lost count of Switchblade. Yeah, know you know what? I would have lost count, but Stuart um, 
always does the hashtag one, hashtag two. That it, so you know, uh, uh, yeah, we've kept it, we've kept track of it that way. But yeah, we've got the fourteenth edition of NASA tonight at the Three Guys Cafe. We've got some cracking acts. Nathan Parker's coming over from Blackpool. Rushika's yes. coming over from Manchester for the first time. Got people from like Abyssinia's coming over from Inkspill Poetry. Got lots of new faces. Uh, Jack Coverdale's gonna be there. We're gonna be there as well with his uh, new project, Poets on Polaroid, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, yes. we've got lots and lots of new faces and a couple of uh, old and goldies as well for you. Free tickets may still be available. You'll have to go and check. I'm hoping to get there in the afternoon. I'm, I'm going over, doing a bit of a swap. I'm going to Manchester to do Shapeshift. Yes. Um, but I'm hoping to catch the end of Natter as well. So shout out to Ethan and the team there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, otherwise, upcoming events, we've got quite a lot on um, for us both. So on... 29th of July at three o'clock. Come through to the Bolton. Uh, I always you get this Bolton right, Museum and Li- Bolton and Libraries and Museums, uh, the Central Library on Le Mans Crescent. We're going to be there in the uh, theatre hall downstairs, where Will is going to be doing his workshop on confidence and yeah. all things speaking uh, your mind, speaking your truth, and and being proud of that, and being able to to project yourself in a manner that befits the amazing thoughts that you have inside of your head. So that's that. Uh, the tickets to that are free or that you could, there's a donation option. Uh, and we can't wait. I've got little goodie bags to give out. I've got some sessions that we're going to do, little warm-up activities, getting up on the stage if you feel like you're ready. I'm really excited. It's going to be good fun. And uh, then, of course, just a few days later, um, on the, August the 3rd, we've got uh, our live show. Redraft goes <laughs> uh, live. The redraft goes live with Adam Evans at the King's Arms, which we are immensely excited for. Yes, I cannot wait. I, as I said before, I am going over to the Portuguese warehouse to get my favourite crisp for Adam to try. If you know where the Evans is, you probably know what the crisp review is. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of crisp review in live as well. We've got new poetry from myself and Will, and we've got obviously some comedy from Adam, and then a lovely chat between us three, so it's not to be missed. Yeah, I'm so excited, man. I'm so buzzing. It's going to be sick. Very, very good Yes, and, and of course, the King's Arms is an iconic venue in Salford, uh, and yeah, we're very excited that they will host us there as well. And it's only four pounds. Four pounds! Four pounds! That's, That's a bargain. A pint. You might get a crisp with that as well. one portuguese crisp (laughs) (laughs) amazing stuff right so we'll leave it there for now thank you as always for joining in yes we will see you next week bye for now send in love